Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 138. Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> Guess what? This is a real full episode, and I'm looking at at Louise, my daughter. She's not even here. It's only Louise. I'm looking at Sally's face. Jen just gave me some eye contact. I did. I'm looking at you right like, in the face. Stop is it, it too much? No, it's okay. Fine. It's fine. I'm a heavy eye contact person. Does it freak you out? It does a bit. Not, does it? Not you in general. I've okay. never noticed it, but I am like a bit uncomfortable with eye contact, I think. Uh-huh. See, I yeah. had a, um, a psychology teacher when I was in high school mm. that um, told me that I had intimacy issues because I wouldn't look people in the eye. So and it you fucked like, with oh. me. And I was like, <laughs> I'll show you, Deckman. <laughs> and so now I like... <laughs> Try really hard to look people in the aggressive eye. eye contact. And I think it freaks people out. <laughs> I never noticed that you're like overly eye contacty, but uh-huh. um, but I'm, yeah, I'm eye contacty, and I'm I listen to the point where you think I'm not listening to you because I'm so silent. That does happen. That does happen quite a bit. Where I'm like, Jenny's still there. Like, yes, I'm just not talking because I'm listening. Look <laughs> like, at what I just said. Um, well, it is good to be here in person. It is uh, I know. It's so nice to be at your house. We are drinking a lovely red. I just, Jen was like, we're going to, we're recording, then we're going to go to dinner. And Jen was like, do you want something to drink? I was like, no, I got some water. And then I walked over to her kitchen was like, ooh, what's, is this red good? Yeah, <laughs> I and must, it is. I must have a Listen, sip. Listen, I always, that's another thing. I always have a bottle of red open on my <laughs> counter. <laughs> uh, so, Jen... You went to Disney World. I did. Holy shit. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> what was it? it? You know what? I've been to Disney before. We also went to Universal. We did yeah. one day in Universal and one day in uh, at Hollywood Studios because my son had to go to Star Wars. It was okay. a yeah. lifelong dream. Um, but it was um, fun. The way I always describe like Disney or any kind of theme park like that is yeah. like it's, it's a pendulum swing that swings from being like the greatest time of my life to my worst fucking nightmare. Yeah. And there's no in between. <laughs> it's like, I'm having the best time. And then I'm like, too many people get the fuck away from me. Um, but I, but we had a great time. The kids yeah. had a blast and that's, that's all that matters. But yeah. it was good. It was so fun to like spend time with like my nieces and nephews and, um, yeah. you know, I had a good time. Good. So, yeah. Yeah. How was your trip to Chattanooga? Oh, I mean, it was like basically, I think they call it the Disney of Tennessee. Is that what they <laughs> Chattanooga. call it? Chattanooga. Uh-huh. Uh, no, you know what? It was great. You told me, well, I asked your kids. They said, go to Rock City. Yeah, which they is, like, will not stop talking about how cool Rock City was. It was cool. They it were was. not wrong. It was like one of the first, like... The first like tour, real tourist traps that I've been to that was actually awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it was actually worth it and like interesting and cool to go to, and it wasn't overcrowded and it was yeah, it was super fun. Yeah, we had a great time. Yeah, Chattanooga is cool. Great. Don't yeah. yeah, don't sleep don't on Chattanooga. Sleep. That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> 
A lot of good breweries, good restaurants. It's like walkable. It's cool. Yeah. And they surprisingly have a lot of great vegan restaurants, like more than Atlanta. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. I saw that that's like a good thing there. So yeah, good trips all around. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, Um, uh, let's get into our episode. Let's do it. Okay. I'm going first this week. Do it. Um, my quickie comes from an article for the Loudon Times written by Nathaniel Klein. So this article is just about um, a particular town in um, Le- uh, called Leesburg, which is in Loudon County in, um, in England. But it's about how um, the they saw record couples getting married and like completely booked up and everybody getting marriage licenses to so that they could get married on to... February 2nd, yeah. 22nd, 2000. So I'm sure that that was the case across the board all over the world. Everybody wanted to get married on 2022. Do you believe it? I just wanted to pick talk about this and pick your brain on numbers, numerology. I know you know, Sally and I have been following the numbers 555 for years. They pop up everywhere. And Sally and I take it as a sign that we're going to be really fucking rich, you guys. We're so rich, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) So famous and so rich. Uh, but it's just, it's just like a thing between the two of us. Like we keep we keep sending each other like five 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 spottings. I yes. can't believe in stuff like that. I have no idea why. I cannot back it up. But I have this faith in like yeah. numbers meaning something in numerology because my friends tell me to believe in it, so I do. <laughs> I, do. I uh, yeah, I want I want to believe in it. Why not? Yeah, why not? Why not? I mean, I'm not gonna like do something crazy and like bet my whole you know all my savings on something like oh that. i did what no oh <laughs> i was like jen you shouldn't have well, what's so, funny? <laughs> so um my friend angela she sends um me and all of our friends every month she sends like this really big long not a horoscope but just kind yeah. of like the moon readings for the month or okay. whatever and it's so yeah. weird because they're always like dead on balls accurate yeah but she like said that on um, that on the twenty second that that is the time to like really manifest mm-hmm. things and ask for you know ask the universe for exactly what you want and like what? set it off into the universe. I missed it. And <laughs> well, no, she- yeah, I know. So what's funny is we that was the day that we drove back from. Yeah, Florida, and by the time we got home, I was like, Shit, I only have like one hour to manifest. <laughs> I like, I was told to like write down, you know, in a, on a piece yeah. of paper and burn it and send it off into the universe. So I'm sitting there like writing like love, happiness, peace, <laughs> world peace, like a let go of fear and you know, blah, blah, yeah. and like hurt, past hurt and trauma. <laughs> and like Louise walks up to me and she was like, what are you doing? Like, Nothing. Just hold on manifesting really quick. And then I was like trying to find... A minute to like walk off to the sink and like light it up. <laughs> hold on, I'm just gonna start a small fire here. Just hold, on, hold on, hold on. And she was like, Did you just light that on fire? And I was like, Louise, you're blowing this for me. And so I don't know that my manifesting went because uh, I was not connected to it. I wasn't yeah. thinking, I was like fighting off my daughter, looking at me like I was a fucking crazy person <laughs> while I was trying to manifest. You're like, How do I explain this? Listen, do you know what I mean? I- you're. 40. 
<laughs> you need something to hold on to. <laughs> Anything. Listen. You will fucking grasp for straws. You will write shit down and light it on fire. Even if you look crazy, you need it. You just do it because your friends tell you to. Yes. And it's a day. And then um, what's so funny is that, um, like, I we do shit like this all the time. Like, you know, I guess half believing in the manifestations yeah. or whatever. And what's so funny is I was thinking, remember last week when I was talking about the dumb outfit that I accidentally pulled from my closet and wore to Zany's? Yes. If the next fucking day, I, I recorded that set three years ago. Yeah. And the next day. It was on the internet. Zane, <laughs> or, it was on, or Circle yeah. Access, the t- TV yes. station posted it and like it resurfaced and I was like how the fuck do I manifest <laughs> this but I'm not even trying and I can't get love and happiness and peace <laughs> in my life but and everybody can see this outfit so but everybody saw this dumb outfit because I manifested it yesterday thank I know, you I was going to say you need to post that so now people know what you're talking about <laughs> I know yeah if you guys want to see the dumb outfit it's on circle access Instagram <laughs> Jen said it to me and she was like oh my god the blazer <laughs> Oh my god, do you know what I also forgot that I did? That you had just gotten bangs? Yes, that day. (laughs) I was like, it was like I was trying to sabotage my set. I don't know what implored me to grab the dumbest outfit out of my closet that I didn't even know I owned those clothes. Then I was like, hold on, real quick. Let's just get some bangs. Oh my god, my teacher was right. I do have a fear of intimacy and happiness and joy. Yeah, no amount of eye contact is going to help I'm a (laughs) self-sabotager. That was my quickie, honestly, was I just wanted an excuse to talk about numerology and manifesting things. I, you know, it's like, I do half roll my eyes at it, but I also really, like, I do. I get into it. Listen, I just want to believe in love and peace and happiness. I want to manifest some shit. I want to believe I have some control over things. (laughs) I want you to have joy. I just want to be able to, I want to be able to, uh, you know, I want to secret some shit. That's all I've ever wanted. Let's do it. (laughs) Tonight, Sally, after dinner, let's burn some shit in my backyard (gasps) without Louise (laughs) and her judgment. (laughs) This is sad, mom. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Oh, we're sad. Um. Uh. Okay. okay, well, your turn. My cookie is about a couple that's not sad. Oh, um, good. Okay, so this is from Harper's Bazaar by Sabrina Park. Okay, so this couple, Sydney Germain and Teron Stokes, who are from Houston, were out on a date. Like, they were on this really romantic date. It was her birthday. They were all, like, she was dressed to the nines. He was looking good. They were, like, walking on the street, like, headed home. They were, like, I think taking pictures, like, taking some selfies, like, together. Mm-hmm. And this woman comes up, and she's like, oh, you guys are so cute. You look so put together. You look so great. Um, do you want me to take a photograph of you? And they were like, oh, okay, thanks. You know, I mean, I've done that to people where, like, they're trying to get pictures of, like, a big group. And I'm like, do you want me to take a yeah. picture? I'm, I'm that person. <laughs> Person who will always been is like I do it too, and I swear to God, teenagers always look at me like I'm fucking. Oh yeah, like, why are you talking to us right now? Yeah, they're, they're like, like, come on, let me take a picture. Me, guys. <laughs> and they're like, we don't, want, we don't want you to take a picture. Yeah, so they're like, yeah, yeah, great, and uh, and then she takes a picture of them with her camera. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then like walks away and they're like, okay. That's weird. That's weird, right? Okay, yeah. And then they realize, they, I mean, they had no idea because of course she's like masked, the woman is masked and, and they didn't, you know, they were just thought she was just some woman on the street. And then people start blowing up, blowing up their phones and are like, oh my God, there is a picture of you guys on Cher's Twitter. <laughs> Oh, share? It was motherfucking share. Oh my god. <laughs> and so she posted this picture on her Twitter account and she said, um, when we were coming out of the movie, I saw this beautiful couple. He was taking her picture. She had flowers. I said, Can I take your pic? Had my mask on so they didn't know who I was. Maybe just a crazy woman. That me. <laughs> she said. And so then all of a sudden they're like, Oh my God, we had no idea that it was share. Oh like, my god. Um, and also the funny thing is, is that they're like in a relationship, but they hadn't like told anyone yet. I don't know exactly why. She's like a beauty influencer. So um, Cher didn't know that she was famous too. Right. Cher didn't know. Cher was like, did you even know whose picture you took? <laughs> um, or maybe she's a beauty blogger, but so, but she and Sydney and Tehran had like not come out with their relationship. So they had their friends and families. This is how they knew. And they're like, well, I guess like, you know, no better way to like people to find out that through shares twitter oh that's so sweet yeah so um as long as like they're both single and nobody's hurting the process no no i think they're i think it was just like a new thing um but she said oh my god that was me that's wow i can't believe it it was my birthday and then to ron this is on shares twitter um said wow so we really did meet share this night will certainly be remembered forever Aww. It's very cute. And so I'll post the picture there. Real cute. But how that fun is, is that? Sweet. <laughs> but it would be, wouldn't it freak you out if someone was like, oh, do you want me to take your picture? And then just took a picture with your with their camera and walked away. Like, yeah. Like, wait, what? Yeah, no, that would definitely make me uneasy for the rest of the night. Right. Share. <laughs> she's she's yeah. the best. She's the best. She's the best. <laughs> Hey, Sally. Hey, Jen. Are you ready for a crazy story? Yes. Okay. I'm ready. Great. My story this week comes from an article for the Waco Trib, written by Tommy Witherspoon, um, an article for KXXV.com, written by Dennis Turner, and also an episode and a podcast uh-huh. episode with my eyes and with my ears Ooh. of Snap. Yes. Yeah. All I right. know. Uh, you know, behind the scenes, guys, I was like, oh my God, I only have one night to write a story. And I'm a little, 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 little <laughs> so bad. And Sally was like, just ch- get a snap and call it a day. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, find yourself a good old fashioned snapped episode <laughs> and be done with it. I was like, I will. And that's exactly what I did. Um, so, um, Joyce McMullen was born in Waco, Texas in 1945. She was born to a very well-off family. So Mm -hmm. she came from money and she was the baby of the family. So they said that Joyce was very spoiled. Mm. The spoiled rich baby. (laughs) Um, But she was... She was very pretty, um, and everybody always commented on how beautiful she was, but she also had a really big tomboy side to her. Uh You know, she loved... Um, of course. Jesse Lincoln Tom she was gorgeous just a natural tomboy. beauty. Yeah. <laughs> like Cindy Crawford, mm-hmm. you know, like in the Pepsi commercial, mm-hmm. cut off jeans. Um, but so she was obsessed with cars, actually. She loved cars. And um, she, especially like race cars, she okay. thought it was great. So she ended up meeting a local race car mechanic um, 
when she was young named Joe Sullins and they quickly fell in love. They married, had two kids, and then they uh, ran a business together building stock race cars for race car drivers. Cool. Those are the people that drive race cars. Gotcha. Race car drivers. (laughs) I'm learning so so much. (laughs) I know. Me too. They worked with all of the best race car drivers in Texas and probably from around the world. But one was um, a man named Joe Sturdivant, who was like a really big deal um, in Texas as a race car driver. Joe was known to be a ladies man. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, very I mean, all, the, all the race car drivers. They kind of are. Are they? I don't know. Nothing I don't know. Nothing. No. Um, I'm like, just wear your seatbelt. <laughs> <laughs> and a helmet, please. <laughs> Why are you changing lanes so much? Stay in one lane. Um, so at 18, um, do they even change lanes? Did yeah, I make yeah, that yeah, up? Yeah. They might not. I mean, I think it's just like one lane, right? I don't I guess. know. I don't know. <laughs> and so um, when he was 18 years old, he ended up getting his um, girlfriend pregnant. And she was only 15 years old at the time. Aye, aye, aye. And so his parents, you know, back then that was a big deal. So his parents made him marry her. Eventually ended up, because he was such a ladies man, mm-hmm. he ended up leaving his wife and kids to be to date other women. Yeah. He just couldn't stay single. I mean... I'm not excusing it, but he was 18 years old. I mean, come on. He's a yeah. child. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, I mean, ladies, man, or maybe you don't get married at 18. And exactly. Exactly. So, um, he, um, but his number one love besides the ladies was racing cars. He was mm-hmm. obsessed with racing cars. He was so good at it. And he won a lot of championships. Mm-hmm. They said that he was super competitive. Like, yeah. he just would not lose to anybody. He was like, pedal to the metal. Exactly. <laughs> Like Lightning McQueen. That's as far as my race car knowledge goes. <laughs> Francesco Bernoulli was the main Italian race car <laughs> on the movie cars. Anyway, um, so in early 1970 um, is when he actually met Joyce mm-hmm. because he would um, go to he was around that, their business a lot. So yeah. he met Joyce and he was attracted to her immediately. And um, because she was so beautiful. She was a beauty, a tomboy, beauty. Natural. Exactly, natural beauty. So they became friends, but then eventually they ended up starting an affair. Mm-hmm. When Joyce's husband, who was actually Joe's friend at the time, found out about the affair, um, he told Joe that he could keep her. Oh. Yeah. Man. <clears throat> he was pissed. That's a, that's some, that's a baller. Keeper, yeah, yeah. I want her. Keep her. I want her. Keep her. Yeah, walk away. And Joyce was like, "Thank you." (laughs) (laughs) And so they ended up getting a divorce. And then in um, January of 1973, Joe and Joyce got married. So Joe and Joyce ended up starting a business called Sturdivant's Auto Transmissions. Um, Mm -hmm. And because he was well known for being a race car driver, he got a lot of business right away. So they were very successful, and Joyce ran the office and did the accounting while Joe ran the shop part of it. Yeah. And so they were very successful. Their friends said that they were rolling in the money, and then they ended up building their dream home on 50 acres of land. Wow. Yeah, so they were kind of a big deal in Waco. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then they lived in the house together with Joyce's kids from her first marriage. Their names were Tina and Little Joe, actually. Okay. Yeah. They said that Joe, Big Joe, was a really good dad to them. Yeah. Spoiled them rotten. When little Joe got bigger, he ended up working at the shop, and he loved Big Joe and, you know, mm-hmm. followed in his footsteps. They lived a really happy 
successful life together. Yeah. Um, but then by the year 2000, I can't say that. 2000. <laughs> Conan, you ruined that year for everyone. Um, so by the year 2000, Joe ended up giving up racing and just focused on the business. And later, when he ended up having to have uh, bypass surgery, he took a step back from the business altogether, and he just let Joyce continue to run it with little Joe. Yeah. Um, so, again, they were very happy. He was, like, retired, and they had a lot of money. The business was going well. The end. Every, the end. <laughs> <laughs> Until um, on Wednesday, October 8th in 2008, Joyce called 911, and she was hysterical, uh, telling 911 that she'd just come came home from work and found her husband laying in a pool of blood and he was laying on the bed. So police arrived and when they looked at the scene, they saw that Joe was laying in his bed like he had been sleeping. Yeah. But they saw that he had a gunshot wound to the back. And then Mm. when they took a closer look, they saw that there was a second wound and there was a shot in the back of the head. (gasps) So it looked like he had obviously been murdered. Right. And at the time he was 68 years old. Yeah. So when they walked through the house, they saw that drawers were left open. They looked like they were rifled through. It was the classic Mm -hmm. look like a robbery scene. I think we all know where this is going. That it was not a robbery. It was not a robbery. And then the police remembered when they were walking through the house that they had actually been to that house just one year earlier. And the reason that they were there was because there was another home invasion where Joe had woken up to a man choking him. What? Yeah. And then this man had hit him over the head with something. And apparently Joyce was also hit over the head and knocked out temporarily. But Joe um, was able to fight this person off. So they survived that attack and this home invasion. Yeah. And um, the perpetrator ran off. And they just wrote it off to, you know, it was a home invasion. They were a very successful couple. Right. They had a big house. Everyone knew that they had money. Exactly. They were rolling in it all the time. They were Scrooge McDucking it. Yeah. They had a money pit that they dove into. Mm -hmm. The police at the time figured this was probably just another robbery. Yeah. You know? The detectives questioned Joyce, and she told them that when she went uh, left for work that day, Joe was still asleep in the bed, and then she went to work, worked a full day, and came back and found her husband laying dead in yeah. the bed. They ended up taking her clothes for forensic evidence, mm-hmm. but they didn't suspect her at all. Yeah. She was the grieving wife. And so um, she went down to the station, um, to the police station, to answer more questions for the police. And Joyce told them that when she had gotten home that day, she went into the house and noticed that the utility room in their house had grass all over it mm-hmm. and that the drawers had all been opened up like somebody had went through it. Yeah. Um, and then she was crying. She was saying that she was actually mad at Joe. She thought that he made the mess and left the grass everywhere so that she went to his, the room to like yell at him yeah shook him and then that's when she realized that he had he was dead Mm -hmm. they asked her if he carried a wallet and she said that he just kept his money in a rubber band in his pocket Mm. and um it's a rich guy thing i feel like yeah Mm -hmm. it is um so she told them that there was two that there were two handguns and a watch that were missing from the house and that Mm -hmm. there was also some jewelry missing um i would be the worst person if people were like what's missing from your house i'd be like i Fucking no. Everything I know. or nothing. I would, I, is it, like, is it my laptop? Then I don't know. I know. I would know the weirdest things. Yeah. Like my boots and my earbuds. <laughs> my earbuds or whatever you call them. And also 
<coughs> this one cactus that I keep in the corner that's not there. <laughs> one of the pieces of jewelry that were missing was um, a butterfly pendant with pink wings outlined in diamonds, she said was missing. Okay. Um, and they asked him her if her husband had any enemies or anybody that would want to harm him. And she said, no, that he was very private. And he wouldn't, even if he did have enemies, mm. he wouldn't have told her anything. So, um, you know, they thought that it was a burglary, but when the police looked through the house, they noticed that the drawers were open, but not really rifled through. Yeah. There was a safe that somebody had tried to open and they used a pipe wrench to try to open it, which is like a weird way to open a safe. Mm. Yeah. And so, um, I don't know why I was so confident in my like, that is a weird way. I mean, yeah. the way you open a safe is obviously with a crowbar. <laughs> like, is it? I don't know. I have no um, idea. That's why I was like, I don't. It's not you a lightsaber. <laughs> um, I think you use like a, a laser pen. Yeah. I would use a la- If I was going to open a safe, I would use a laser. Yeah, obviously. Or a blowtorch. <laughs> um, I would use like a, um, a cup and then I would like do the combination. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. That's a good way to do it, too. Yeah. I would drop it off the side of a building. So the police were kind of at a loss, and then they kind of had to just rely on information that the public was giving them. So yeah. they got a lot of phone calls, and they got calls from people saying that, you know, that they had heard that he was um, a gambler, mm-hmm. and that maybe he was into, like, drug trafficking, all this stuff, but, like, none of the leads really panned out. Yeah. Um, they also he they also got a call saying that um, that he had been accused in the past of sexual misconduct. Mm-hmm. Um, it apparently Joe had had a lot of affairs. He was a ladies' man, mm-hmm. so they wondered if it was a, possibly an angry husband or a boyfriend. Yeah, but they couldn't find any evidence that um, that there was that the house was actually broken into. Mm. You guys, if you hear crunching during this episode, <laughs> it's me. It's my rude ass dog, Ruth. She waits. She that bowl of food has been sitting there all fucking day, and she it waits is. until we're recording to eat it. Just like she knows so exactly what she's doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Loudly, she knows exactly what she's doing. <laughs> um, so then on October thirteenth, two thousand eight, the police got a very interesting phone call. From a guy named Cowboy Tate. Okay. He was, <laughs> I mean, any phone call from Cowboy Tate Cowboy is going to be Tate. interesting. <laughs> he was calling actually from jail. He was oh. in jail, um, but he was um, an inmate due to non-payment of child support, uh, which yeah. is also not cool, Cowboy Tate. Not cool, Cowboy Tate. That's, so yeah. He was. Um, so he was in jail, but he to- he told the police that. He had met um, a woman at a pool hall one day, named, mm-hmm. and this woman's name was Deborah Dietrich, and she was asking him if he knew anybody who would possibly be open to murdering someone for hire. Yeah. Okay. Hey, <laughs> yeah. you know anybody? <laughs> um, you know a good car detailer or <laughs> someone that could murder someone for me? <laughs> He said that she went as far as to actually took him to a parking lot across from Joe's favorite cafe and pointed Joe out to him and told him, like, this is the person. Oh. And so um, he said that he was freaked out by her and that immediately when she left, he called the Waco Crime Stoppers line. But the police took way too long to answer the call. You don't say. You don't live in Atlanta, do you? <laughs> um, the police 
took too long to answer the call, so he ended up just getting scared and dropping the call and, and yeah. never saying another thing about it. But he told the police that Deborah wasn't hiring a hitman for herself to kill Joe, but it, she was hiring somebody for Joy Sturdivant. Um, and so Man, when Deborah's chatty. Yeah, she says a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And so then the police found Deborah and brought her in for questioning, and she went willingly. She was yeah. just like, Yeah, I'll tell you everything you want to know. But so Joyce and Deborah were friends. They had met when Deborah was delivering some auto parts to their shop. Mm-hmm. They quickly became friends, and apparently Joyce confided in her that Joe was abusive towards her mm-hmm. and that he had been terrorizing her for years, she told her. And so she asked Deborah to help her find somebody to kill him. Yeah. And so that's when Deborah contacted Cowboy Tate. But when he he was not interested, um, she reached out to one of his friends, which was a guy named Carlos, and um, and one of his friends, Cow- Cowboy Carlos, Cowboy, <laughs> Cowboy Curtis. <laughs> Deborah told the police that Carlos and his friend asked for twenty thousand dollars to carry out the hit. But when she went to Joyce. Um, to ask her for the money if yeah. she had $20,000. She said that she didn't have the money, but that she had these two rings that were worth a lot more than $20,000. So Carlos and his friend agreed to take that as the payment, but apparently they never intended on killing Joe because they just stole her rings and then disappeared. Mm. Um, so Joyce was pissed, but you know, what are you going to do when you give some criminals your ring? <laughs> right. So she told Deborah that she would just kill Joe herself. And so that's what. Deborah told the police. Gotcha. And so the police ended up tracking down Carlos, whose real name was Carlos Garcia. And that's when Carlos corroborated the story. They had tried to hire him and his friend to kill Joe Sturdivant, but that they just took the rings and and never did it, obviously. Deborah Dietrich ended up calling the police again and told them that she had more information that she wanted to tell. All right. So she's saying like, oh. Seriously. And so she told them that Joyce had told her that she was going to kill Joe herself and make it look like a robbery. She also told the police that Joyce had confessed to her that she had tried to kill Joe once before and make it like look like a home invasion. Um, so that was... So she was the one who knocked him over the head? Well, she had actually hired her friend, Ali Muhammad, who was also known by friends as Doc. He went by the name Doc. I love all these... So, like I know. Texas. I know. Doc, <laughs> Cowboy <laughs> Curtis, Cowboy Tate. And so when um, the police found Ali Muhammad, um, they said that when they uh, approached him, he was basically like, what took you so long? Like he knew they were coming. To find yeah. Him. And so, and he told them everything too. He told the police that Joyce told him that his her husband was abusing her and he believed her. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, apparently he was in a bad way financially and he really needed money. So Joyce gave him money to kill Joe. But Doc said that he couldn't do it himself. So he hired a guy named Chris Chapman. Boring name. Ugh. Chris Chapman to carry out the hit. But apparently that night when this guy Chris Chapman went to kill him, Joe had actually woken up and fought him off. Mm. And so um, Doc also told the police that Joyce had a prescription pill problem. And um, yeah. he told them that he had actually been selling the pills to her and that he she had bought a lot of pills from him. The police ended up questioning their son, Little Joe. Mm-hmm. And when... I'm sure it's not Little Joe. Little Joe. Little Joe. I hope I'm not outing anybody, but we used to have, back in the day, our our, our weed guy was named Little Joe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, so when they interviewed him, 
he ended up backing up the story that um that not only did his mom have a major pill problem, yeah. but he said that in order to pay for the pills, she had been embezzling money from the shop for ten years. Oh. At the amount of three to four thousand dollars a week. So Holy completely shit. draining the business. Can you imagine having a problem that bad? I mean That's a lot. I mean I don't know how much lot. they cost, but it seems like it's a lot of pills. A lot. And so um the business apparently was in financial ruins, and Joe, Joe Sturdivant had no idea. Mm. They apparently owed money in back taxes, and they had an insane amount of debt. Um, so now they have the motive. This is why she would kill him, because also there was a life insurance policy for uh, Joe Sturdivant for $90,000. That's it? Yeah. So she, I know, it's not that much. Yeah. You would think that somebody that wealthy would have taken out a policy for much more. Yeah. But so she needed that money and she also needed Joe to not find out. Right. You know? So, um, and then also little Joe told the police that Big Joe had never been abusive towards his mother mm-hmm. as far as he could see and that his he believed his mother was lying. And so, but you never know. There's two stories. Yep. Two stories. Two sides to every story. Yeah. But um, so now the police have all this testimony, mm-hmm. but they have no evidence, really. So there's no, like, smoking gun, if you will. It and feels so like you got 20 people who are like, oh, yeah. You have 20 people, <laughs> but you don't have any hard evidence. I guess that's true. And nobody yeah. was, like, there at the time, so they don't. There's no witness. Yeah. yeah. So for three whole years, Joyce was free. Yeah. Until... And it took them a long time to test the clothes that Joyce had been oh, wearing. Oh, that they, yeah. that they took? Yeah, mm. I guess because she wasn't um, a suspect yeah. at first, so they just never tested the clothes. But mm. then they, so on Feb, in February of 2011, they ended up testing Joyce's clothes, and that's when they found that there was a gunshot residue on her jacket. Mm. So with that, there was enough to charge Joyce with the murder of Joe Sturdivant on March 16, 2011. Um, and she was arrested for capital murder and attempted capital murder. And her bail was set at $1 million. $1 million. $1 million. We're doing all the 90s references today, <laughs> buddy. so cool, man. <laughs> and so, um, is it 90s or early 2000s? Early 2000s. So um, on November 28, 2011 is when the trial began. Prosecutors said that that morning that Joe was killed, they said that Joyce got up for work, shot him in the back while he was sleeping, and then saw that he was still breathing, so then went back and shot him in the head. Mm. And then they said that she went off to work and worked a full day like nothing ever happened. Wow. I know. Can you That's imagine? A fish. That's what they said. Mm. That's what the guy on Snap Did said. It? He said fist, but I think that's a cold-blooded woman. That's cold, bitch. It's a cold-blooded woman. The defense, cold little lady. <laughs> so the defense claimed that it was a robbery gone awry, and that um, Joyce was a victim of abuse. Mm. And um, but the thing is that they can't explain away the gunshot residue on her jacket. And so, or all of the witnesses' testimony claiming that she had hired them to kill Joe. Right. And so it was a pretty open and shut case. And on December 2nd, 2011, the jury found Joyce guilty of murder. And she was sentenced with 30 years for the murder and 15 years of attempted capital murder of Joe Sturdivant. And so she was 67 years old when she was arrested. Yeah. um, Which would have her spending the rest of her life in jail. Now, she was eligible for parole in 2026, which is coming up when she would be 81 years old. 
But on December 10th, 2020, she passed away in jail. So possibly I should have read the whole article. You know what? It doesn't matter. I just saw the date of death and went with it. And you were like, Um, and she's gone. And I just thought natural causes. That's the story of Joyce Sturdivant. Cold-blooded woman. Cold woman. (laughs) Cold woman. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Are you ready for a love story? I am. Okay, I'm going to warn you. Oh, shit. There's some real sad shit in this. Oh, no. Because it ha- it's... I don't know why I'm not going to stop using that, because it's about the Holocaust. Okay. Oh, man. Uh, but there's a love story. I am going to take you to Happy Town, but I just want you to know there's some real sad shit. Okay. okay. I got my information from a People.com article by Diane Herbst. Uh, from NPR by Joe Corona, from thehistoryreader.com by Rebecca Frankel, and from jewishpartisancommunity.org. Okay. Um, so Philip Lazowski was born on June 13, 1930, in Belica, Poland. In 1939, out of the total population of 1,800 people, there were 600 Jews. Um, Philip's father, Joseph, was a successful fisherman, and his mother owned a fabric store. He was the oldest kid. There were, he had three younger brothers and a sister. In June 1941, the Germans invaded the small town, destroyed Philip's family's home and all of its contents. Um, the family actually remained in the town. They lived with Philip's grandfathers until November 10th, 1941, when all of the Jews were told that they had to move into the Zetel ghetto, which was nearby in Poland. Mm-hmm. On one morning in April of 1942, um, his family found out that the Nazis were going through the ghetto, killing everyone there. And so they were went into hiding. Philip was just 11 years old. Oh, he helped God. his parents and siblings and grandparents take shelter in this hideout that they built in their apartment but he put everyone in and then he was the last one and so he closed it off (gasps) and was like i'll go find a place to hide somewhere else to hide but before he could find somewhere else to hide the german soldiers found him and so he was taken i know he was taken into the marketplace and there german soldiers were basically splitting people into two groups so they were like you're useful or you're dead. Like, you oh know, so it's God. like people who could work or were healthy, young people had a skill, mm-hmm. were spared, and everyone else wasn't. And so he was just a kid by himself, and they he was definitely not in the useful category. But he was, like, looking through the crowd frantically as he saw what was happening, and he saw this woman who had documents in her hand, which were, like, work papers, and she was standing there with two young girls. And so he was desperate and he's just this 11 year old and he went up to her and was like, can I, you tell them I'm your son? And she said, yep, if they let me live with two children, maybe they'll let me live with three. Hold on to my dress. Oh my God. Philip said, and then we went onto the side of the living. He said, I only saw the lady for 15 to 18 minutes, but I'll never forget her. Oh, wow. A thousand people were killed that day. And after that day, Philip returned to his family, who had remained safely hidden during that oh, April good. massacre. It you know doesn't stay good for long. Um, and they were safe for several months. But then in August 1942, the Nazis returned um, basically to kill everyone who was still there. So Peter and his siblings hid in a cave with their mother. Their father had like run to hit somewhere else. 
when they came out of hiding a couple days later, they couldn't find their father, but they were surprised to find that the Nazis were still there. So they were taken into this theater with all of the remaining Jews all scheduled to be executed. While they were there, Philip's mother, they were on this, they were near the second floor window. And so in like a desperate attempt to save him, she threw him out the second floor window. And as she pushed him out the window, she was like, tell the world what happened. Oh my God. Um, And that was the last time he saw his mother and his younger siblings. So Philip was forced to flee on his own and he managed to escape into the woods where he eventually found his father and brother. So in these, like, this is like a kind of vast forest in Poland. Wow. And um, apparently there were... There were a lot, not a lot, but there were a good number of, of Jewish people who escaped and escaped into the woods. They were mostly like married couples, women, children, and they would all live together. But they're, you know, they had no shelter, no food, no nothing. Philip and his father and his brother managed to live through freezing winters, no food, constantly having to move to avoid being caught. Um, only 20% of the people who escaped into the woods survived until the end of the war. Oh but they God. survived for two and a half years. And the only reason these families could survive was because there was this group of Jewish resistance fighters called the Partisans. They would bring these groups of people that like supplies and food and they would let them know when people like when the Germans were coming through the area to let them know where to go. So then in the summer of 1944, the Germans began to retreat. They returned their hometown and they found it was mostly burned to the ground. So they moved around Europe for a couple of years. In 1947, they moved to Brooklyn. And there they lived with cousins who were already um, who had already immigrated to the United States. And Philip went to night school um, and got his high school diploma. He was then admitted to Brooklyn College and then to the Yeshiva University Rabbinical School to become a rabbi. Oh, wow. So in 1953, Philip was invited to a wedding of a college classmate. And he said he really didn't want to go. He was like... I didn't have the proper clothes. I didn't know how to dance. This is like the tradition of like you asked all your classmates to your wedding. And so he's like, so I went. He was seated at a table with all other like of the young single people. And he ended up chatting with this woman named Gloria Kozlowski. And as they talked, they realized like, oh, they have a lot in common. Um, Gloria was also taking night classes at Brooklyn College. She was also from a small town in Poland. And just like Philip... Gloria had escaped the Nazis by fleeing into the forest in Poland and lived alongside the partisan fighters. And so when Gloria heard about the town that Philip was from, Belica, her face like lit up. And she was like, that's so weird that you say that because I just came from visiting a friend in Hartford, Connecticut. And she said this was a friend that she had made when they were both refugees in Italy after the war, before both of the families had immigrated to America. And she said, while I was visiting my friend, her mother told me that she once saved a boy <gasps> from Bellica, but they have no idea what happened. And Philip, his heart stopped and he was like, how, how did she save him? And so Gloria began to tell him the story <gasps> that he already knew. Of course, because she said, you know, the woman and her two young daughters were spared because they had work papers and they risked their lives to save this young boy who had been separated from his family. And Peter just looks at Gloria and he says, that was me. Oh I, I am that boy. So he got the family's name, 
Rabinowitz from Gloria and immediately left the wedding, ran down the stairs to the basement of the wedding venue and got to a payphone. He dialed the operator and said, please connect me to Rabinowitz in Hartford, Connecticut. And the operator was like, which one? There's six. And he was like, I don't know. Just start with the first one. He said he only had enough money to make one phone call. But luckily, it was the right one. Oh, my God. So he was connected to a woman named Miriam Rabinowitz, who was the woman who had saved him all of those years ago. And Miriam, too, was like, just had been always wondered about this boy. And she was like, I'm so happy to hear you're alive. So Philip wrote her a letter the next day. And he said, I didn't and couldn't forget you. I was looking all over to find you. But as the Talmud says, the day will come and the day did come. So just like Philip's family, Miriam and her family had gone through so much to get to that day. Miriam had been a pharmacist, which is why she had papers when she lived in Poland before the war. Her husband, Morris, was in the lumber business. But when the Germans invaded, the Rabinowitzes and their two young daughters, Ruth and Toby, were sent to the Jewish ghetto, just like Philip and his family. And during the second massacre in August, the family also fled to the forest, although in the separate part where they managed to survive for two years before they eventually made their way to a refugee camp in Italy. And Ruth, the older daughter, remembers their father and mother would have the kids sleep on top of them because they were just sleeping on like the snowy ground. And they were like, we don't want you to get cold. And it was Ruth who befriended that woman, Gloria in Italy. And so, and just like the fact that all of these people survived to like then have this chance meeting is like, yeah, of the 6 million European Jews who were killed in the Holocaust, 3 million were from Poland What I read was that by 1950, only 45,000 of more than 3 million Jews um, who were in Poland before the war were still alive. And an even smaller percentage of those who fled into the woods survived. So just the fact that, like, yeah, all of this came together. So a few weeks after Philip called Miriam, he went up to visit her family in Hartford. And everybody was just so happy by this reunion. It was like a bright spot that had come out of this horrible, horrible experience that they had all gone through. The two little girls who had grown up, like hearing the story of the little boy that they had saved, you know, now they're all grown up too. Toby was 18 and Ruth was 19. Um, They were like just so happy to meet this kid. Yeah. It was like family legend. And so as Philip, you know, he started spending time with the family And soon it became apparent to everybody that Philip and Ruth were falling in love. And Ruth said that at the beginning, she said, I liked his looks. He was very friendly. And then she said, and then I fell in love. And he said, I felt in my heart that she is the one for me because she went through so much that I did. So two years later in 1955, Ruth and Philip were married at the Beth David Synagogue in Hartford. They had three sons and seven grandchildren, and they've been married for 67 years. Whoa. Philip became a rabbi in Hartford until he retired in 2000. He's written over a dozen books, including his story of surviving the Holocaust, which is called Faith and Destiny. Ruth also became a Jewish educator and public speaker. And um, this author, Rebecca Frankel, actually talked about their story in a book called Into the Forest. So if you want to read more about them, you can find out all about them in Into the Forest. That's amazing. Yeah. So their son, Alan, who it's like, ah, they just are like such amazing people. They like obviously 
raise their kids right. He's a board member of the Anti-Defamation League and the NAACP. Um, and he says that Philip was the model son-in-law who took care of Miriam, who had saved his life, oh, and um, and Morris until they died. And he says, like, of course, like, is like, that's not anything to praise me. Of course I would take care of them. He actually said that after they had reconnected, he had always considered Miriam to be his second mother. And he says that the lives that he and Ruth have lived, he thinks would have made his own mother proud. He's now 91 years old. And he said that God was good to me, that I was saved, that I'm alive. I tried my very best. And I think I fulfilled what my mother asked of me. Oh, isn't that yes! amazing? <laughs> oh, dude, that was a great story. It was so good. good. <laughs> I oh, know. man. Yeah. That was good. Wow. <sighs> that is, wow. Yeah. And they're really, I mean, of course they're cute, but they're like, they're just like this really sweet, solid, amazing couple. And they've done such amazing things. I just, you know. I know. It's just see stories like that where it's like these one in a million yeah. chance, like, you know, that's why we believe in numerology. I know. And can I tell you something else? It's like, it, this is a sad part, but it also makes this story even more like the chance meeting even more crazy right. is that the woman who Philip met at the wedding died a week later. Wow. So like just the fact that the chance Yes, the chance wow. that they all were in the right place at the right time for like him to be reconnected, for him to fall in love with the daughter. Like it just so so crazy. Wow. So yeah. That is wild. Five five five. Five five five. Guess what? What? As you were telling the story and I was looking at our dumb love dashboard for mm-hmm. our podcast. I looked down and I saw that Nikki two 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 commented on our Episode two, two years ago. <gasps> this is a great podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so it's two, 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 two. We're manifesting. Oh, God. See, hopefully I manifested more than just a dumb outfit. <laughs> but um, man, that was such a beautiful story and also very heartbreaking. It is. But beautiful at the same time. Yeah. Wow. Sally, thank you. You know, you're welcome. Thank those people that wrote that story. And I mean, he's written books about their lives. And so um, if you'd like to read more about them, I definitely go do. read. Or you can watch there's like interviews with them and they're just adorable. All right, well, let's do something dumb and something we love. Okay, so this week for something dumb, I'm also going to take it to a not, um, to a, on a serious note. Mm-hmm. These are the days where it's like, and I don't mean this in a, oh, woe is us. I mean, it's like, it's not, I'm like, oh, it's hard for us. It's tricky for us as comedians mm-hmm. when it's like, I've been in a funk all day long, just reading the news. Yeah. And then, you know, we have to record our podcast and it's like, I have shows all weekend long and just so much devastation happening. It's just tricky to yeah. switch gears mm-hmm. um, and, um, try to be light when there's so many horrible things happening. Um, But so for something dumb, I definitely want to talk about Putin attacking Ukraine. Yeah. And um, everything that's happening right now in the Ukraine, it's so heartbreaking watching all these families fleeing and putting pins on their children when they send them off to school of their blood type. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's just so heartbreaking. And I just, I'm really praying for all of these families. Yeah. And, um, and, 
in the entire world because I, I've frankly I'm pretty scared. Yeah. Um, but the something I love is that we always say when like when there's a tragedy, there's always people that are willing to help. Mm-hmm. So I just want to name um, a couple of places that if you're wanting to help these families that are in need right now and are in a state of crisis in Ukraine, um, globalcitizen.org just put out an article with a list of ways that you can donate, which are um, you can donate medical supplies and humanitarian aid through um, United Help Ukraine, which um, receives and distributes donations, food, and medical supplies to internally displaced Ukrainians. Mm-hmm. Um, there, So if you go on this uh, globalcitizen.org, you can uh, find all the links to click to donate. Yeah. Also, um, there's a, a Ukraine-based nonprofit called uh, Nova Ukraine, which provides citizens um, with everything from baby food to hygiene products, mm. um, clothes and household supplies. There's a link to donate there. Um, another organization called People in Need, who are providing humanitarian aid um, to over 200,000 people on the ground right now with emergency shelter, safe access to drinking water, hygiene items, and coal for heating. Um, and then there is also the Ukrainian Red Cross, which aids refugees and also trains doctors. Yeah. But I also saw Bethany Frankel, who's a real housewife. <laughs> she has an organization um, called Be Strong, and she's always I, like I, I, I joke because it's a real housewife, yeah. but she's always the first person with boots on the ground sending planes with relief over to wherever. Yeah. You could also look her up and find ways to donate there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my something dumb and something I love um sorry Sally (laughs) I had to no I mean I I think you yeah that's the thing that's dumb and I think that the thing I love are the helpers unless it's like you know let's let's do what we can yeah um I'm trying to think if I have anything lighthearted to end on Jen do you have a podcast you like do we have a tv show that we're in Ooh, I'll tell you what I have something like, have you watched Sex Education? No. It's great. I It's on Netflix. It's a British show. There's three seasons of it. It's like, it's great. It's all, it's, it has, um, it's about teenagers. Um, Doing it. Not, but not I'm really. Scared. It's like, you know, it's just, it's, it's really good. And actually my okay. dad recommended it. Really? And I was like, okay, dad. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, yeah, you were right. This is great. <laughs> it's really great. Um, so... I recommend that. That's something I love. Awesome. There we I go. will definitely There's check your it out. There we go. We and we're going to have now. sushi, and that's going to be great. That's going to be great, too. Um, I love sushi. Yeah. So, guys, reach out to us. We would love to hear from you. We always do. You can find us on all the social medias at Dumb Love Podcast. You can email us at dumblove at gmail.com. You could rate and review. You could tell a friend. Um, and, you know, most of all, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. We love you guys. We love you so much, and don't forget to get out there and do something dumb for love. Dum-da-dum-dum-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-